Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. It is great to see you guys. Thank you so much for being here. As we continue a series we've been in for a couple of weeks, the most important thing about you. We've been talking about that most important thing about you. It's summarized in this beautiful quote from A.W. Tozer, incredible theologian and pastor who says, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. It's the most important thing about any of us. Now, that may seem like a really audacious, big, bold statement. How could that possibly be true? Well, it's true because our perceptions shape our relationships really more than anything else. They, sh- they shape our relationship. I told the story week one about how I met my wife, Leslie, and how when I first met her, I had one perception, and as I got to know her, my perception changed. And as the perception changed, so did the relationship. And, and I hope that you see that that happens not just for Leslie and I, that happens for every single person, that your relationship will never outgrow your perception of the other person. And as you come to know the other person, your relationship will grow deeper. And one of the kind of incorrect or false assumptions that we make when we've been together for long periods of time, couples that have been together for years and years and years and years, we think, oh, I already know what she's going to say. I already know what he's going to say. I already know what they're going to do. I already, like, you already know, and we forget the fact that people are always changing constantly, always changing. And there's more to know, and there's a perception that needs to grow with the person. And people who stop, typically that stops the relationship. And what's interesting is what's true of us from person to person is also true of us with God. That Our perceptions with God can get halted at a certain point. Maybe you grew up to a certain point. Some people I've met, they'd say, my perception of God kind of threw on the brakes when I was about 10 years old, and I'm still holding on to that same perception of God, which isn't serving them very well at all, right? It's real hard to answer the big questions of life with a 10-year-old version of God, right? And so it's like, um, I talked about this too, the, the rear view and side view mirrors of the car, every once in a while we gotta stop and adjust because there are blind spots all around us. There's parts of our reality that we can't see. And those parts of reality that we can't see, we call blind spots, could be potential hazards for us. It could be a potential collision or wreck if we can't see and perceive our reality correctly. In other words, our perception needs to align with reality. Have you ever seen this happen in a relationship where you had a perception of somebody that was not aligned with reality? Have you ever trusted somebody that you should not have trusted? Then they hurt you. They broke your heart. They, they, um, maybe they took advantage of that trust. Maybe you're watching this from home this morning. You can relate. That, that, that's happened to you. You felt like somebody has... Uh, really taken advantage of uh, kind of a vulnerability of trust that you gave them. And there's also the opposite is true. Sometimes we presume upon people, we prejudge them, and we say, oh, I can't trust a person like that. I'll never trust him. I'll never trust her. I'll never trust them. And we prejudge. I mean, really, that's what prejudice is all about, isn't it? It's prejudging someone. We prejudge when we should have trusted and it winds up hurting them and us in the long run. 
And what we don't realize is that sometimes we bring that same blind prejudice to God. Is maybe the way we were raised or our religious kind of background or some well-meaning person that told us something about God that we latched onto that's incorrect, it's not true. And our perception is off about God and it's caused us a great deal of frustration and back, kind of uh, backwards momentum in our, our walk with God and we're wondering, why can't I ever trust God? It's partly because your perception of him needs to be adjusted. That's what this series is all about, is to bring clarity to your perception of God. And when we started the series, we started by saying, before anything else, God is a father, a loving father. He loves you. Jesus even said that before anything else, if you're gonna, when you're speaking to God, in Matthew chapter six, verse nine, this then is how you should pray, Jesus says. Our, let's say it together, our father in heaven, right? First and foremost, you need to recognize who you're talking to. He's a father, He's a father, but he's not just any father. Last week, we talked about the fact that God is good. He's a good father, and he is good in all he does and who he is. But this week, we're going to shift our focus to the fact that God is wise. We're going to look at the wisdom of God, and I want to give you a definition that I, I love. It's from Dr. Charles Ryrie, who was uh, one of the head theologians at Dallas Theological Seminary for years and years. He passed away in 2016. Brilliant man. Uh, I actually went to church with him for a period of time when I lived in Dallas, Texas, going to seminary. Not often you meet a church member who has their own study Bible. Like, uh, brilliant guy. But I love this definition that he gave for the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God shows us that God is willing, God will bring about the best possible results by the best possible means for the most possible people for the longest possible time. Isn't that interesting? That's what God is doing all the time. He is working to bring about the best possible results by the best possible means for the most possible people for the longest possible time. This is what he's doing. Now, the idea is that God, his wisdom, he shows us he knows everything that has ever happened. I mean, everything down to the intricacies of this universe. Every raindrop that has ever fallen, every flutter of every butterfly's wing, every thought or concept that's ever come into anybody's mind right now, all of yours, he's got it, he knows about all of it. Everything cataloged and can recall it perfectly at any time and he knows everything that will happen into the future and this is kind of mind-blowing he knows everything that possibly could every possible scenario that could happen he knows all of those as well unbelievable and in all of that he is always working he is always working for the best possible results by the best possible means for the most possible people for the for the longest possible time. He's always doing that. But here's where it gets complicated. Here's where there's an issue. God, in the middle of all of that, gave us as human beings this gift, the gift of choice, the gift of volition, the gift of will that we can choose. We can choose. And he gave us that because he didn't want us to be robots, That is a beautiful gift. And with the gift, now, love is possible. Love is impossible without choice, right? So he gives us this gift of choice so we can love. We can love each other. 
We can love God. We can love creation. We can love a good meal. We can love our pets. We can, there's all kinds of love, right? But they're all based upon a choice that we make. With love, you can also choose rebellion against God, also known as, in, in terms of Scripture, sin, rebellion against God. And here's the thing that God always warns against sin or rebellion against Him. It's because it always brings pain and suffering and eternal consequences until or if, unless we receive the forgiveness that God offers through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is what makes it so incredibly important that we understand what did Jesus do for us and what is that wisdom through His forgiveness that we can understand today. So, Here's the thing, we can know all of that, we can understand, like, okay, Will, I get it, God's really wise, He knows everything, that's, that's great, but what difference does it make? Because you can know all of that, and it doesn't really benefit or change your life, it doesn't really change the way you live. Like, you may be asking, well, how does that change Monday morning? How does that change the issue that's going on in my marriage right now? How does that change the financial crisis I'm trying to work through right now with my spouse or by myself, this issue I'm having with one of my kids? How does it help me there? How does it help me in these moments when I just feel overwhelmed and I feel like giving up? Let me explain to you how the wisdom of God can make such a difference in the area, all of these areas and so many more that I didn't even name that you're dealing with right now. So I want to share with you three prerequisites to living in the wisdom of God, okay? So let's start with the first one here. here. Here's how it begins. Wise living begins with the reverence for God. In the Old Testament book of Proverbs, chapter 9, here's a book that was by and large written by King Solomon, the son of King David, considered to be one of the wisest men to ever live, one of the most wealthy and powerful men to ever live, he was asked all the time, how did you get so wise? How did you get so wise? He probably got tired of answering the question, so he wrote it down. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. Here's what Solomon says, and it's kind of like him giving some fatherly advice to all of us about wisdom. He says, let's say it together, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, maybe one of the most misunderstood words from the Hebrew language in the Old Testament is this word for fear. What exactly does he mean? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What does that word fear mean? Let me give you a definition for it. It means awe-filled respect. I gave this to you actually a couple of weeks ago, so you may remember it if you were here. Uh, deepest reverence and honor. Awe-filled respect, deep respect, reverence, and honor. Another commentator said it's the anticipation of harm. Now, what does he mean by that? Let me explain that. Let me give you an example. I grew up in Austin, Texas, back in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, I'm that old. Okay, so um, I grew up in my dad's sign shop. He had a sign business. Uh, he passed away in 02. My brother John has over, taken over the sign business, and they're still doing well. And as a matter of fact, all of the signage on the Brazos Fellowship building uh, on the outside and most of them on the inside were actually built and, and installed by Lewis Signs in Austin, Texas. And as you might 
you know, be able to guess. We got a pretty good deal on that. So uh, it's pretty great. But I grew up in the sign shop, and it really, it's a sign fabrication shop where there's a lot of welding and building of these giant sign cabinets out of iron. And um, I could still drive down Interstate 35 in Austin, Texas, and see huge sign structures that my family, my dad, my brother, my uncle that worked there for a time, built and put up, and they're still up there. And, I mean, these things have to be really substantial because they're sitting on the end of a pole, right? And they have to withstand high winds or they're hanging off of a building in downtown Austin. And uh, they have to be really built correctly or it could, you know, be really dangerous for a lot of people. And I remember my dad, when we were really young, he taught my brothers and I how to weld and I remember, I was the oldest, so I remember him teaching me how to weld. And the first thing he said, he said, Will, the first thing you need to know is that we need to maintain a high level of respect at all times for the welder. This arc of electricity coming out of there can kill you, all right? If you raise your welding hood while you're, you're, you're welding and you look at it, it could burn your eyes and you won't be able to see, at least for a period of time. That had happened to him. He could speak from experience. He says, and when you're welding, there's going to be little sprays of, of, of like molten iron shooting off onto you and dropping onto the floor and spraying all over the place. So if you don't have proper gear on, proper coverage, it's going to burn right through your clothes and it will burn your flesh. So are you excited to learn how to weld, right? Yes, Dad. Okay. I mean, he was like, this is not playtime. This is not, like, this is serious business. This is dangerous. You need to be careful. This is kind of like Solomon's warning to us here, his fatherly warning. He's saying to us, listen, listen, listen. When you start to approach God, you need to come with a healthy level of respect. He is almighty. He's all-powerful. He knows everything. Like, you need to approach him with that kind of, that kind of reverence, that kind of respect. Now you may be saying, well, well, does that mean that God is mean? And I would tell you, no, God is not mean, but he is dangerous, right? He is dangerous. It reminds me of a quote from the C.S. Lewis book, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. Maybe you remember reading that when you were a kid, and we read it to our girls, and there's this moment when the Pevensey kids make their way into Narnia, and they meet Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, and they're telling the kids for the first time about Aslan, the lion, who was the symbolic representation of God in the story. And they were just overwhelmed by hearing about him. And little Lucy, the youngest, she says, but is he safe? And Mr. Beaver says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe, but he's good. He's good. I love that. Whew. Makes me a little emotional because that is beautifully portraying what he's saying right here. This idea that he's not mean, but he is powerful. He is dangerous. He is good, but he's not necessarily safe, right? It's just like every other kind of form of power that God has put in our reality in this world, like electricity. When you see lightning coming down out of the sky, Lightning's not mean, but it is dangerous, right? It, it mirrors and reflects part of the attribute of who God is. Nuclear power, 
right? It's not mean, but it's dangerous. It has to be treated with respect. It has to be handled carefully. And God wants us to approach him in the same way. In other words, the beginning steps, this is what, what, uh, what Solomon is teaching us here, the beginning steps of anybody who wants to be wise, that he or she must come with a healthy fear, a healthy respect as they approach the God of the universe. That's what this verse means. It's understanding that my well-being as a human being is attached to and is, is um, put upon in terms of my perspective being in alignment with who does God want me to be? What does he want me to do that I need to be thinking about, praying for, concerned about that? He's my creator. That yes, I've been given volition, I've been given choice, but, but he desires that we choose him that he wants us to choose him. And when we do that, it's the beginning of wisdom. But it's more than just head knowledge. Here's the second half of the verse where he says, knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Well, what does this word knowledge really mean? What it means is that it means far more than head knowledge. It means to know by experience, to engage with, to come to know God beyond the theoretical, but into the intimate and into the engagement, into the experiential, into the applicational, like you're actually living in a relationship with the God of the universe. You know him, he knows you. Close. This is what he wants. This is what he desires. He wants us to know him like that, to trust his wisdom over our, I'm gonna use air quotes, our wisdom, right? We don't have, our wisdom is way, 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 I mean very, 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 very limited compared to God's unlimited wisdom. It's trusting him, and it's being willing to say, God, I trust your wisdom in the context of a intimate relationship with you to guide me in this life. It's the same thing that Jesus mirrored in John chapter 17, verse three, when he said this. He says, now this is eternal life. Jesus got asked that question a lot. How do I have eternal life, Jesus? How do we live forever? How do we know God? How, do we, how does this work? And he gives us this beautiful answer. Now this is eternal life. That they, uh, that they let's say it together, that they know you. Not theoretical, not head knowledge, experiential. Personally engaged with, connected to, intimacy with God the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I want you to know him personally. I didn't ask you to come and join a religion. Jesus is saying, I didn't ask you to come and just be a rule keeper. I didn't ask you to come and just try to memorize concepts and agree to a covenant or agree to a code of living. That's, that, that's part of it, but the core of it, the heart of it, you get now to the nucleus of what the Christian life, what Jesus came to bring, and it's this, that they may know God and me, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's why he came. It's the difference between reading biographies about somebody that you admire and actually meeting the person. You can read biographies all day, every day, and you'll learn a lot of information about, about the person, right? But you will never come to know the person until you meet them, 
until you make time and space to connect your life with theirs. I see a lot of Christians that bring a very studious approach to God. There's a lot of devotional, and devotional material is great. Hear me, I'm I'm not down on devotional material at all. Bible studies are great. Reading theological books and commentary, it's great, it's all wonderful, absolutely. And ironically, even studying the Bible itself, if it's approached in an academic, head knowledge only, theoretical only, you're doing it wrong, I'm telling you. You're missing the point. God wants us to come before him and to bring that wisdom and let it draw us closer to him, that we may come to know him. And I just want to encourage you, maybe this is not something you regularly do, but that you would make time in your daily life to talk to God, to get alone with him, quiet. And maybe at the beginning, it's just while you're driving in the car, it's wherever you can just take a moment to talk to God. You cut everything off and you just say, God, here I am. It's me, it's Will. And here's what's, what's going on in my life Here's what's happening, and I need you, God. I need your wisdom. I need you, God. It's opening up your heart. That's where it begins. And I want to invite you into the center of my life, God. I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. But it doesn't end there. It just begins there. It begins with a reverential and respect-oriented fear of God. So that's the first prerequisite. And here's the second one. The second prerequisite to living in the wisdom of God is wise living grows by applying God's word. And applying God's word so critically important. In the New Testament, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, we see that the apostle Paul is writing to his protege, to his mentee. It's a mentor writing to the mentee, and he's trying to train him up. He's a young pastor in the city of Ephesus, and he's running into lots of different issues, but the biggest issue is he's trying to help these people of God, this young church, to grow in the wisdom of God, and he's trying to grow himself, but he needs some help. He needs some coaching. He's like, how do I do this, Paul? And Paul lays it out not only for Timothy, but for us as well. And here's what he says. He says, from infancy you have known the holy scriptures. Head knowledge, right? You've got it in there. Which are able to make you wise, right? For salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. He's saying the wisdom comes from taking the, the wisdom of God's knowledge and putting it in the context of a salvation relationship with Jesus Christ. In that context, wisdom can flourish. He goes on to say this. He says, all scripture." All scripture is God-breathed. In other words, all scripture is inspired by, infused by God's spirit. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and let's say it together, and training in righteousness. In other words, it helps us to get better and better and better in growing in this process of wisdom and coming to know God. It's a process, like anybody who's in training. Like, you're not there yet. You're trying to get better. And he's saying, and treat it like that. Don't be so hard on yourself when you don't get it right every time. You're in training, right? That's what it's all about. It's, it's, it's learning how to be trained up in righteousness. And he goes on to say, so that the servant of God, in other words, children of God, Christians, followers of Jesus, that's us, right? Those who fall into that category. The servant of God may be thoroughly, let's say it together, thoroughly 
equipped for every good work. Did you realize that there are good works that God has planned for you, purposed for you, that he has in store for you, that you will not be able to do unless you humble yourself and take God's word and begin to apply it to your life in the context of an intimate love relationship with him? Not possible. You're going to miss out on part of the wisdom and experience that God intended for your life unless you are constantly consistently applying God's word to your life. I would encourage you to do this daily, to look at ways, how do I bring God's word into the application and engagement experiential part of my life? It's so incredibly important. And Jesus talked about this correlation all the time of, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you really, you know, like, Talk is cheap, right? You could tell me that you love me, but I'm looking for someone who actually puts into practice what I have said. In John 14, 15, he says this. If you love me, let's say it together, keep, if you love me, keep, also meaning obey my commands. Like these two go together. These two go together. The power of God's word, the wisdom of God's word is in its application. You can't, ex you can't extrapolate the, the power of God's word without the application of it. The application is the power of it. But all the time, I mean, many, many, many times people forget this and we think, oh no, it's, it's what you've got up here. And even within Christian circles, we can be very impressed by we can be really blown away by people's information, how much they know. And it's great to know a lot. But you need to know that God, to God, he puts application over information. He would rather see you apply a little than know a whole lot and apply nothing. <laughs> That's the way he approaches this. I mean, think about it like this. You tell me, yes or no, is it possible for someone to have a PhD in nutrition but eat junk food all day long? Yes or no? Yes! And I bet you, I don't know for sure, but I bet you that's happened before, okay? <laughs> People, but it happens all the time where we pay good money for medical advice we don't follow, right? Or we pay really good money for marriage counseling that we don't apply to our marriage. We read books on parenting that we never actually get around to really applying with our kids. The power is in the application, not in the information. And Jesus tried to make this clear over and over and over again. The wisdom starts with healthy respect for God. And then the next step is, it's like, what you say, God, your wisdom is so much greater than mine, I will do what you say. And then, it doesn't stop there. Here's the third prerequisite to wise living. Wise living requires that we ask for it specifically. That we go before God and we say, God, I want your wisdom, okay? There's a beautiful passage in the New Testament, James chapter 1. And James was the half-brother of Jesus. But he grew up in the same house with Jesus. Jesus was his brother, right? James was one of the, the last of the leaders of the New Testament church to become a Christian. He became a Christian after Jesus rose from the dead. Why? Because when you, you know, grow up with the guy and he's your brother in the house, right? You've seen his dirty laundry on the floor. And maybe it's hard to say, yeah, you're the son of God and the Messiah of the world. 
But after he saw him resurrect from the dead and saw all the fulfillment of all the promises, he says this is undeniable. He gave his whole life. He became a martyr. He died for the cause of Christ. Beautiful. But right here in the first chapter of James, James is unveiling for us what does it mean to have the wisdom of God? How do we begin to get that for our life? And he shows us the essential steps. He says this, if any of you lacks, let's say it together, if any of you lacks wisdom, right, you have a circumstance in your life that exposes your lack of wisdom. You ever had one of those before? You're like, I don't know what to do next. I don't know what to do with this marriage. I don't know what to do with these kids. I don't know how to fix these finances. I don't know what to do with this, this job, I don't know if we're supposed to move. I don't know what the future holds. I am so confused, frustrated. I don't know. When those moments happen, what are we supposed to do? James says, I'll tell you what you do. You should, let's say it together, you should ask God. See, he's driving you back to prayer. You need to talk to God. You need to open up. You need to make time to speak to your heavenly Father. You should ask God, why? What's he gonna do? who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. I love how he unpacks this. The next part of the verse says this, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind, that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is, let's say it together, such a person is double-minded, and unstable in all that they do. This word double-minded means to be a divided mind. It means to have a split allegiance. Here's what James is warning here. He's saying when you need wisdom and you're going to God to ask for it, do not come to God saying, God, tell me your perspective. Tell me your part of it so that I can kind of weigh my options and then pick to do whatever I want to do. He says, God will not answer that kind of prayer. That when you come before God, it needs to be decisive. Wisdom is decisive. It's saying, God, you are the holder of all wisdom in the universe. And I'm coming, and I am a beggar asking for it. Please, God, give me wisdom. Please. It is recognizing that every decision that we make is an opportunity to ask God for his wisdom. You see, God doesn't mind if we come before him and say, look, God, I don't know what to do with this marriage, these kids, finances, the future, career, all these things. I don't, need, I don't know what to do with them. But he doesn't want us to stop there. He wants us to go a next step further and say, and so God, you show me and I will do it. In other words, it's like James is saying, you need to go ahead and sign your name at the bottom of the work order and say, God, you fill it in. You tell me what to do. You show me what to do. You, I'll do whatever you say. I'm, I'm signing the bottom of the contract, and you fill in the contract. Whatever you say, I will do. I'm putting my yes on the table. Yes, God. I don't even know what it is, but yes, I trust your wisdom over my own. I trust you. I trust you. He's saying that is the kind of prayer God loves to answer 100% of the time. And he will answer it through his word. 
He will answer it through godly, wise counsel from other believers in your life. He will answer it through circumstances, and he will answer it through your own prayer life. But he will never contradict his word. It will always be coinciding with his word. And I want to tell you, just personally, if I can just confess this for a minute, this James 1.5 may be one of the most repeated prayers this pastor prays. I pray it all the time. God, once again, I need your wisdom on this situation with our girls or with my marriage or with the future or with the church or with the COVID. I mean, like, my goodness, there's so many things we need to be asking God for wisdom on. God, I'm praying you would give me your wisdom. And let me ask you this right now. How about you? Where are you right now? What is, if you had to answer this question, what is the most difficult, most challenging, hard thing you're facing in your life right now? That is the place God wants to speak his wisdom. Are you asking for it? Are you asking God for his wisdom? Single-minded, convinced that God's wisdom is the best possible way forward. Even when you struggle with doubt, you're willing to believe that. And when he begins to show you his wisdom, are you willing to put it into practice? That you say, God, I will do it, and I'll do it right you may not always get it right. That's okay. But you're going to start applying it immediately. Here's the prayer I'm asking you to pray with me. It's simply saying, Father, thank you. Thank you, God. First of all, that you have made your wisdom available. He is the source, the ultimate source of all wisdom. We must recognize that. And that he is always bringing about the greatest results by the best possible means for the most possible people for the longest possible time. I admit I need your wisdom in a decision right now. Would you be willing to do that? We're gonna pray in just a minute. Would you be willing to say, God, you're the source of wisdom. I need it right now. I commit to apply your word in my life. Whatever you say, God, my yes is on the table. Would you do that? I am putting my yes on the table. That is my commitment to you, God. And maybe you're putting your yes on the table for you if you're listening to this at home or wherever you are today or you're here live in person in this room. God is saying the first step you need to do is stepping over the line of faith, trusting me for the forgiveness of your sin and letting me come into the center place of your heart and soul, the place that I created you for me to fill the place I created in you for me to fill. Would you let me come in? Would you be open to say, yes, I invite you in right now, Jesus? And maybe you have done that already, and it's time for you just to say, God, I'm inviting you into a relationship, into a situation, a struggle, internal, external. I need your wisdom. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.